Hello and welcome to episode three of Trinity Reconnected. My name is Jerry Foley and over the course of 12 episodes I'm chatting to fellow 1982 graduates from Trinity College in Dublin. My own degree was in economics and politics which proved useful when I went on to have a career as a broadcast journalist mainly in the UK where I still live. But my three guests today emerged from Trinity with a real qualification as engineers which enabled them to fly away initially to South Africa and in another case to Dubai. I should advise you that there's a little bit of echo and feedback at the beginning of a conversation, but it clears up and it's a fascinating chat. So let's meet the three guests. Hello, John O'Connor here, uh, engineer from Trinity 1982, um, and 15 seconds on where I've been since then. Uh, South Africa um, as an engineer for a few years, because there was nothing happening in Ireland in, uh, in the early 80s. Uh, then ended up in the UK, and then about 20 years ago came back to Ireland. So I'm uh, back as a naturalised Irish person again. Right. And you're being very modest. We'll come on to you now run a, a very interesting company called Deep Insight, but we'll come to that. So I want to move on to Mustang Zier. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your career post Trinity. Jerry, yeah, I uh, graduated from Trinity in 82 in engineering. And uh, like many of us at that time, I couldn't find a job in Ireland. I went back to Dubai and I couldn't find a job there either. So I started a company. And uh, still trying to figure out why and when I started and how I've managed so far in the last few years. <laughs> well, again, you've been very modest. Seven Seas technology, which we'll come on to. But uh, all the way from uh, Cape Town is Michael Keating. Michael, go ahead. Hi, Jerry. Glad to be chatting to you. Um, like John, I also left and came to South Africa in 1982. Um, but I've I haven't managed to escape yet. I've been here 40 years since, uh, working for, for, for the most part in the mining industry, uh, some of it with mining companies and some of it with consultants working for mining companies. But in any case, all of it involved with the mining industry, a lot of it in, in diamonds, um, and a lot of it also across border into places like Botswana, Basutu, Democratic Republic of the Congo, and, and other exciting places like that. I just want to start by going back to the very beginning as to why each of you picked Trinity. And John, I'm going to ask you first, because I'm from Munster, like yourself, you're a Kerry man. In, in those days, most people, when they went to college from Munster, either went to UCC in Cork or UCD in Dublin, but not so much for Trinity. So what was it about Trinity that pulled you in? Uh, uh, good question, Jerry. Um, actually, the real reason is um, there was a thing called the Reed Scholarship, uh, which was available only to Kerry people. And actually, it is still going today. It was set up by a chap called Reed, funnily enough, I think about 100 <laughs> years ago. And he lived in, um, I think he came from a Killarney, wealthy Killarney family, but he spent all of his life doing law out in India. And he bequeathed a certain amount of money to Trinity, which was to be only used for Kerry men or Kerry women of limited means. Uh, I think the phrase limited means could uh, could apply to kind of pretty well anybody living in Kerry uh, or was applied to anybody living in Kerry at that stage. So I uh, I went up with my uh, my Reed scholarship to Trinity. Great. And what an opportunity that was. And before we get to how you got into Trinity, you only arrived in Ireland um, about seven or eight years previously when you were 10 or 12. Your family journey getting to Ireland was quite a story in itself. 
Yeah, Gary, we hopped on a boat from uh, Sri Lanka in 1969 as uh, refugees and uh, literally swam across to Ireland and uh, went to school there. Great times, great memories. And um, I don't know, somehow I chose Trinity. I think I ticked the right box in the uh, application form. And, uh, you know, they were great memorable days for me. And Michael, being a Dublin lad, was Trinity always on your horizon? It was and it wasn't. Um, what was really on my horizon was engineering. That was my first and only choice. I remember filling in the, uh, the CAO forms at the time, and, and it was engineering, engineering, engineering. And the first offer that came up was Trinity, and I happily took it. And what was it about engineering at the time? Because I want to talk to all three of you. You know, it, there wasn't much technology around, and you've all gone on to be at the cutting edge of very sophisticated IT in your work? I've, I have no recollection of a computer in the engineering department. I believe there was there was an IBM or DEC machine, which is probably the size of a big truck, uh, which probably had the horsepower of um, an iPod at the time. But uh, I, never, uh, I never really got it. I think some of our class who went into computer science or were interested in computer science ended up uh, working on that big DEC or IBM machine. Um, maybe the other guys can remember it, but I certainly never remembered it in Trinity. Of course, uh, the very first course that I did in, in, on computers uh, involved the use of the machine that I think John has got the right name for. It was a deck. But um, we used to have to prepare uh, punched cards and then submit those cards and, and come back the next day and get a printout and find out that, of course, we'd punched the cards wrong or you know mixed them up or whatever and 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 the reports came back and said um you know try again and mustin you not only did engineering but you stayed on for an extra year to do mathematics so was the lack of technology something which impacted on your decisions um no i think at that time what trinity was framing engineers was uh, to let them think and open their minds and I think they trained our year very specifically in understanding what's out there in the world and prepare ourselves for what's to come. Teaching you how to think, because you've all managed to do that very successfully over 40 years. And uh, Mr. Ansar, you're still involved with Trinity in terms of being a benefactor, but to the business department rather than the engineering school. So why business rather than your old faculty of engineering? Um, I think business uh, purely to allow people how to uh, shape their future, become entrepreneurs, uh, become idea creators, um, become disruptors in the current scenario of things. So I thought um, the business school was a good point to, to create that whole environment. And uh, the business school has done that now. They have created incubators. They allow people to think freely. The environment is so much better. I mean, I don't know if you've been there, but I, I walked through the business school and I was so impressed by what they have and what facilities the current students have. We all ended up doing a whole bunch of different things in different countries. Um, and well, that's what's interesting. so interesting about the engineering cohort. And I want to bring Michael in here is a good example of somebody who is still uh, and spent 40 years, say, in Southern Africa. Um, I know you're, you're talking about coming back home now. In fact, your plans are on the way to come back home. But 
Um, 40 years is a long time to spend away. So why change now? Um, partly retirement. You know, you, you find yourself not in full-time employment anymore um, and your focus is, is no longer solely on, on, on your work. Um, and you, you then start thinking about, well, where do you really feel like you belong? And, and despite being away for 40 years, I have no doubt in my mind that, that uh, my connection is an Irish connection. And that's a large part of the driver for going back. Um, I think it's a big thing for, for all of us. Uh, Mustanzir, one of the things which was so fascinating about the email exchanges that we had setting up this conversation was, despite coming to Ireland uh, from a very multicultural background yourself, you always put in a few words, Oskelga, which I'm not very good at, in the emails that we've been exchanging. Yeah, uh, it's interesting because uh, at the time when I came to Ireland, uh, Gaelic was compulsory. Uh, fond memories of studying Gaelic. And I think I did quite well, even in the leading cert Gaelic. So, I mean, it was uh, unusual for, uh, uh, for a foreigner to speak a little bit of Gaelic. Well, as I say, you certainly maintain that. Um, I want to go back now to John and Michael. Uh, both of you got jobs overseas in the mining industry in Southern Africa, straight out of college. John, firstly, working in South Africa at the time was a big opportunity, but also there were challenges, not least the political situation there. Did you ever find it unsettling in terms of what the working conditions were for mainly uh, black South Africans? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was very interesting. I, 18, 1982, we went out there, uh, and I actually left then about three years ago, or three, three years later, um, when things were really kind of, it looked like they were kind of boiling over. Um, because Peter B. Boita was the prime minister at the time, and he just did his famous Rubicon speech, uh, which basically kind of plummeted the country into kind of economic chaos. But the thing that surprised me actually when I went out there, and the scary thing actually when I went out there, is that very quickly um, you you almost accept the working conditions and the way of life. So the very fact that everything is completely not really segregated and the segregation kind of works in that nobody questioned it, um, you very quickly fall into a, a situation where um, you, I won't say you accepted that the whites and blacks had completely different roles and completely different statuses in society. Every now and again, it would kind of come home and it would kind of hit you with a, uh, with a big whack. But... Um, um, and it was actually a fascinating country to be in for those three years. Um, I ended up um, actually being uh, being in the same room as Cyril Ramaphosa, um, hearing him speak, which was the current president. The current president, and at the time he was a young, soft-spoken lawyer, but he was very, very clear about the South Africa that he was going to live in in the future, which I thought was very prescient at the time. We saw the release of of. Mandela in 89 or 90 um, and, and the gradual sort of relaxation of the various laws that had been put in place to the point where, where the elections took place in 94 and, and it, was, it was an unsettling time. There were a lot of people who, who were uh, very scared of, of the changes, um, notably obviously the, the white population at the time. Uh, but things moved on and Mandela I think had a, had a a huge hand in in keeping um keeping keeping the pot from boiling over 
we're about to head off to the news headlines in a second, but I just wanted one question I was dying to ask Michael, actually, which was um, most of your mining experience has been with diamonds. What's the most single most valuable diamond you've ever had in your hand or sitting on a table in front of you? Um, I'm not sure in terms of value, but in terms of size, it was a 45 carat stone. Wow. And it wasn't, it wasn't particularly pretty. It was, uh, you know, it had a lot of inclusions in it, so it wouldn't have polished up to a particularly fancy stone. But 45 carats is worth a few dollars. And sorry, Mike, <laughs> just a question on that one is, was that dredged off the coast of Namibia or where, where was that found? No, that particular one was in Botswana. Um, I was also involved in another diamond mine in Lesotho, and um, the plants that we built there um, not long ago recovered a, a stone which is over a thousand carats. A thousand carats? Yeah. Big, big diamonds. We really do have it all here on Trinity Reconnected. But what we also have in each episode is a look back at some of the news that was making the headlines in 1982. Read, as always, by the former RT newsreader, Clodagh Walsh. At the beginning of February 1982, corporal punishment was banned in schools but it was to take several more decades for even more progress to be made. By 1996, it was a criminal offence to hit schoolchildren. Further change came about in late 2015 after the European Court of Human Rights had ruled in May of that year that Ireland's laws were still in breach of the European Social Charter. Legal changes aimed at banning the slapping or use of force against children by parents came into force in late December 2015. Corporal punishment, yeah. Well, I went to a Christian Brothers school in Waterford, not the main one, that was Mount Sign, where the Christian Brothers were founded, of course. And But in our school, Waterpark, uh, the letter was taken out on a fair few occasions by individual teachers. What about you, John? I generally have very good memories of school. So I went to the Christian Brothers school in, uh, in Tralee, and um, the the best, the most fantastic teacher I ever had, and um, an amazing guy was Brother Murray. Uh, and Brother Murray never used a leather at all, but he could, if he wanted to put you in your place, he did it with a very gentle, soft spoken voice. Um, but the, the leather did come out quite a bit, and it wasn't. Uh, it was probably used more violently by some of the um, non-religious um, teachers in the school. Um, and it was you. It was it was used fairly flawlessly, uh, if I can use that uh, that Irish phrase. <laughs> I also went to the Christian Brothers. Um, I started there, in Monkstown, um, and I was there for about six years until I finally persuaded my parents to take me out because I was very unhappy there. Um, I I certainly got the the sharp edge of the strap. And and the other thing that I particularly remember is being forced to sit on the steel storage heaters, which used to be red hot in the mornings, if you arrive late. Oh, my God. Really? As a punishment? Yes. Yeah. No wonder you wanted to switch school. I don't have fond memories of of the Christian Brothers, but I went on to to other schools in which I I, uh, managed to thrive and and do well enough to be able to go to Trinity. And Mustn't Zero Minutes? That's quite a startling story. You know, we're only talking about the mid-70s, but there's more than a degree of cruelty in the way in which Michael was treated by some of his teachers. 
Yeah, I, I think um, schools have different ways of disciplining pupils and uh, even I faced a little bit of the leather strap. Uh, I mean, those times, even us as students, we accepted that as a form of punishment. But glad it's now all gone. So, you know, I have children and uh, they're not subjected to this. And those are happy. Those were sad memories then. I mean, good opportunities came by also from that. Um, but they are not accustomed to this anymore. So it was dehumanizing. Yeah. So I feel for Michael. Yeah, I feel for a lot of my friends also at that time. Some took it, some didn't. Well, as you say, it's good that we moved on and much more enlightened way of teaching. John, it would be remiss of us to have this conversation without mentioning the fact that uh, during one of the long summer holidays from Trinity, you and I ended up working in different summer camps. We uh, somehow linked up um, and traveled up from Florida up along the East Coast. I have some great photos of those days. A great few weeks. Uh, I've got some some great photos of the two of us in extremely short uh, shorts. I think mine were shorter than yours. And we, um, we we would have got arrested, I think, had we uh, been dressed like that in Ireland. But for some reason, we got away with it in the States. Yeah, the shorts were short. And sometimes when I've shown it to my son or family members, they, they do uh, tease me for what was I thinking of. But... <laughs> Uh, maybe we thought we were in some sort of episode of Miami Vice or something. <laughs> and, uh, Michael, we mentioned as we're coming towards the end, you're planning to return to Ireland uh, probably April or May. Are you looking forward to it? I am indeed. Um, I, I don't particularly want to return to Dublin. I, I'm looking for a, a rural setting. I have in mind going to, to the Kilkenny area. Um, but that remains to be seen. I, you know, I have had a look around, but there's no point in trying to put roots down until such time as I actually get there. Very sensible advice. And Mustanzir, you're speaking to us from uh, England, uh, where you're back at present, although your company is still based in Dubai. And actually, you have a very interesting work schedule. Yeah, I start early in the morning around 4 a.m., but I finish early too. So, um, um, but, you know, it's cold here, so it's not bad just to get up early into a warm room and, and start your work schedule. Um, and it suits me quite okay. Uh, I get free by about 12, by noontime here. And the rest of the day I can spend either with my kids if they're around or just doing basic things. Including taking part in a podcast to mark 40 years since we all graduated from Trinity in Dublin the three amigos, the three engineers, you've had fascinating careers. It was great to catch up with all of you. And we'll have another episode in about two weeks' time of Trinity Reconnected. But for now, thanks again for listening.